Well, welcome everybody. We are certainly glad that you joined in with us today. If you're new around here, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. And uh, for those of you who've been around for a little while, uh, at least if you've been here any amount of time since last fall, I'm going to say something you've heard me say or one of us speakers say for a while now, and you may be tired of hearing us say this, but we are studying the most famous talk that Jesus ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, when are we ever going to be finished with this? Well, we're almost done. Uh, we got uh, today and two more. We'll be wrapping up the week before Easter, uh, studying these words of Jesus. But we felt like it was really important that we didn't just skim over this because many of us around here, well, we would say that we follow Jesus and we want to follow his teachings. And so it's real important for us to get clear on what he actually said and what he actually meant. And I'll at least say for me, it's been really helpful uh, get a lot of clarity on that kind of thing. And I hear some of the same response from you guys. So uh, we're going to continue in that today. And today we come to a statement that Jesus made that, well, it's frankly become pretty controversial in our culture today. So let's look at it together and see what Jesus said. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, this is kind of concerning for a lot of people. And not just people who are outside of Christianity. There are many Christians who read these words, and they find them, well, a little bit unnerving. Because it just sounds, well, so arrogant. It sounds so exclusive. It sounds really intolerant. And that's become one of the main criticisms of Christianity in our culture today. Many people have said, well, you Christians, you, you think you've cornered the market on truth. And so all you care about is going around telling everybody what they ought to think and what they ought to believe and how they ought to behave. And everybody who doesn't line up with your way of thinking or your way of behaving, well, you're wrong, you're condemned. And, and, and Christians just come off as so arrogant and so intolerant and exclusive and and, and, and it's our job just to get everybody to be like us. And people who aren't, well, we don't seem to like them very much. Especially people who are different or who think different from us. Especially people who are maybe atheist or agnostic or people of different religions. Or even, even people who are a different type of Christian than you. Who just think a little bit differently than you. But they're still Christians. You, you don't get along with them either. And so this idea of this narrow way or this narrow gate has led to a very narrow mind. And Christians have come off as being very intolerant and bigoted and just not thinking very much. And, and can I just say one thing? That's kind of true. <laughs> I mean, it is true. There have been a lot of cases. In fact, even if it was just a small amount, it would be too much. But there have been a lot of situations and a lot of people, a lot of Christians who have, have thought like that and, and, and have been guilty of that. In fact, I'll go even further. I have been guilty of that. It's been true of me. And I think all of us who, are, are, who follow Jesus would have to say, you know, there's been times and, and, and I've been guilty of that. I've been arrogant. I haven't been very humble with my beliefs. And so what a lot of people would say to that is, well, hey, there's an easy solution to that. Let's just, let's just stop being so dogmatic. You know, just, just everybody relax and, and you have your truth and I'll have my truth. And we won't judge each other's truth. And we won't say that anybody's wrong because really, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, who knows who's got it all right and who's got it wrong? I mean, so let's just all get along. Let's just live with one another and be okay with that. And we'll just tolerate each other. 
And, 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 and I'll just be honest, that's a very popular thought in our day that no one would call anything else wrong that they don't agree with. And, and, and at its heart, maybe it even sounds kind of nice if that were the case. But I find something that's very interesting when I look at the life of Jesus. And maybe you never thought about it this way before. But when I look deep into the life and the teachings of Jesus, I notice something that in our culture mostly people think is, well, kind of contradictory. Almost like, well, it's impossible to have one and not the other. And I'll tell you what I mean. On one hand, Jesus makes these clear statements, these narrow, exclusive kind of statements. In fact, some of the most exclusive statements that anyone has ever spoken. I'll give you a couple of examples. One time Jesus is actually praying to God. He's speaking to God and he says this. He said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus basically is saying here, not only is there a God, but he's the one only true God, which means all other gods Well, they're false. Later, Jesus makes another controversial statement, and many people have sort of keyed in on this one because it's a pretty popular one. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus never really presented his teachings as these optional suggestions that you can just sort of take. It's like, Here's a really good way to live, but you don't have to live this way. You can choose whatever you want. Whatever works for you works. No, Jesus didn't claim that. Jesus claimed to have truth. He he claimed to know how life works, how things really are. Jesus didn't just say, here's some wise things that you might want to consider. No, Jesus says, here is the truth. And that truth, well, it matters more than anything else in the world. So that's Jesus on one hand. But at the same time, on the other hand, this man, Jesus, who was making these exclusive, absolute statements, went around pursuing these relational connections that were just absolutely scandalous in how open and inclusive that they were. To the point of the social and religious cultures that Jesus lived in thought them as being just outrageous. They were, they were amazed. They were shocked. They were offended at how open Jesus was in his relationships. I mean, Jesus would do things like this. He would go around and find sick people, diseased people, who in their day, religiously, you just didn't, you just didn't associate with. You certainly would never touch a diseased person. And Jesus reached out and he touched people with leprosy. And he was close to them. Jesus allowed a known prostitute to wash his feet with her hair, a very close, a very intimate contact that he had with her. One time Jesus praises a Roman soldier. Now, the Roman army was the army that had oppressed and, and, and basically enslaved Jesus' own people. His, they were occupying his country. And Jesus praises this soldier. In fact, he heals one of his good friends. Jesus went around partying with despised tax collectors, which in their culture was basically thieves. They were criminals. They were traitors. In Jesus' culture, men were never to be seen in public associating with another woman, especially if that woman was known to be immoral or promiscuous. And racism and religious bigotry, it was just common in Jesus' day. And yet Jesus engages in this life-changing conversation with a woman of a different race, of a different religion, who was married five times, and Jesus knew she was shacking up with her boyfriend at that moment. And Jesus still engages her. He accepts her. He loves her. I mean, 
You, if you've never done it, you should just read the four biographies of Jesus that are in your Bible. And here's what you'll find. The more narrow-minded that Jesus gets with his devotion to God, and the more serious he gets about his devotion to his heavenly Father, the more open-minded Jesus becomes with people and with pursuing relationships, particularly relationships with people who aren't like him. You know, there's research out there today that shows me something that I think we've missed this in, in our day. I'll tell you what I mean. Research tells us that most Americans would say they have a difficult time having a natural, normal conversation with someone who's just different from them, someone who's not like them, a Muslim, an atheist, an evangelical Christian if you're not one, a member of the LGBTQ community. And, and most people would say, I just, it's hard for me to have a conversation with someone who's different from me. But you know the one single group in that study that they found has the hardest time with having conversations that are normal with people who are different from them? It's evangelical Christians. Us. My tribe. We have the hardest time relating to and having just honest, normal conversations with people that aren't like us. And, and you know what's even worse? 28% of evangelical Christians say, I have a hard time having a conversation with another Christian if they don't think like me. And that's so sad to me. Because one of the longest conversations that Jesus ever had in the Bible was the one that I just told you about. With a woman who was promiscuous of a different race and a different religion of, from Jesus. In other words, someone who was nothing like Jesus. And he spent time with her. And he was comfortable with her. And he loved her. And so the sad truth that, that we find in our day and in our culture is that the followers of the most inclusive man in all of history have now become the group in our country that is the most excluding of people in American society. We've got it backwards. I think many of us, we've gotten relaxed in our devotion to God and gotten real narrow when it comes to people and our relationships and our attitudes toward people. But Jesus, the one that we say we follow, he was extremely narrow with his devotion to God, but he was outrageously broad-minded when it came to how he handled and related to people. And, and it's so interesting to me, I hear these discussions in our, in our culture these days, and, and we would say that being narrow is like the worst thing that you can be, and, and then the, we would say tolerance is like the highest value that you can have. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying that tolerance is a bad thing. Tolerance is it's fine. It, it's, a, it's a good thing to be tolerant. But I think it's fascinating as we go through this Sermon on the Mount and all of the teachings of Jesus. Have you noticed something? Jesus never once commanded anybody who followed him to be tolerant of other people. Have you notice that? Not once has Jesus ever said, hey, be tolerant. Now, the question is, if that's such a high value in our society, why is it not a high value to Jesus? Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear because I think tolerance is just like, it's like this bare minimum quality when you think about it. I mean, you know what the word tolerance means? Tolerance literally means to just put up with somebody, to, to just, hang, just to, to put up with them, just to, you know, just to deal with them, I guess. And I don't know about you, but... That's not very appealing to me. 
I mean, I'm so glad that on my wedding day, my wife didn't look me in the eye and say, Till, you know, for better or worse, for richer or for poorer, I promise to tolerate you. You know, I, I will endure you until death brings me relief. You know, that's, that's not a very nice vow. <laughs> I've never, t- like my kids, I've never tucked my kids into bed at night and I've said, I've never said this to my kids. Hey, kids, I, good night, sweet dreams. I tolerate you so much. Now, to be honest, I have tolerated the behavior of my children at times for a lot of different reasons. I don't have time to get into that. But that's not my goal, is it? To just tolerate my kids? Absolutely not. And see, you know that that's not, that's not what you want either because you were not made to be tolerated. That's not how God made you. No one was. And I think way down deep you understand that, no matter what you believe about God. Jesus didn't say, tolerate your enemies. Jesus didn't say, just put up with those who persecute you. I mean, if you've been here for this series, and we, as we've read these words of Jesus, you've heard him say way different things from that. I mean, Jesus never said, if someone forces you to go one mile with them, put up with it. Because, see, tolerance is a fine quality. It really is. But it just doesn't go far enough. It goes one mile, but tolerance never goes two. I mean, yeah, if you were forced to choose between tolerance and intolerance, you'd choose tolerance every time. But that's a pretty low bar. Can we just admit that tolerance is a really low bar for how to treat someone? And here's why I think it matters so much to the way of Jesus. See, you can tolerate somebody and never love them. But you cannot ever love someone intolerantly. Right? I mean, you can tolerate someone and never have love for them. But remember what Jesus was, has been teaching us in this entire talk, this, this idea of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the highest value in God's kingdom is what? You know it. Love, right? Love. Because why? Because God is love. That's who he is. That's his nature. And so love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Love people in the same way that I have loved you, Jesus said. In fact, he said, by one thing they're going to know, the world's going to know that you follow me by this one thing, when you love one another. Paul, who was one of the earliest followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to a group of Christians and he said, look, you can have all the faith that you want to have. You can have great faith. You you can have all knowledge about God. You can learn everything about him there is to know. You can be as generous and give things away all that you want to be. You can do good into this world. But if you don't love other people, he says, you're nothing. In fact, Paul would go on to say these words. He would say, look, there's only one thing that counts. Seriously, Paul, you really mean that? There's only one thing that counts? The only thing, really? And he would say, yeah, the only thing that counts is faith that expresses itself through loving other people. So if all of that's true, let's go back to what Jesus originally said. Let's look at what he said about the narrow gate. If all of that is true, then the narrow gate cannot be about being narrow-minded. The narrow gate cannot be about getting all your beliefs right so that you can prove everybody else's are wrong. The narrow gate cannot be about religious intolerance. So what is the narrow gate that Jesus talks about? What does he mean by that? Well, it's simple. The narrow gate is just doing what Jesus said to do. It's obedience. It's obeying Jesus. Now... 
That's a, that's a hard word in our day. I mean, we don't like the word obedience. Why? Because most of us don't see obedience as something that's positive. We see it, obedience is something that you do because you have to. Obedience is something you do with your gritted teeth, you know. Or at least obedience is something that wants to take away your joy or take away your freedom. But that is not what Jesus means when he talks about obedience. This is not that. Obedience is simply this. Obedience to Jesus is learning how to do every part of your life from the one who knows how to do life best. Because Jesus is the one who mastered life. Incidentally, he also mastered death, which is kind of something that's kind of important to you, I bet. And you probably want to know about that too. But Jesus mastered life. He makes life better. He makes you better at life. He is the one who knows how life is. And he says, if you will do life his way, that is the narrow way. That is the narrow gate. Which begs the question, what's the broad gate about? Well, that's simple. It's just the opposite. It's doing anything else. The broad gate is doing anything else with your life except obeying Jesus in all things. And Jesus wants you to know this this way of mine, this narrow gate that you entered into, it's the way that will bring you freedom. In fact, Jesus said these words. He said, if you hold to my teaching. In other words, Jesus says, if you do life my way, if you obey me, if you live the way that I have taught you to live, you are really my disciples. And then, now notice, it's an if-then statement. So if you do this, if you hold to my teaching, if you obey me, what's going to happen, Jesus? Well, then... You're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you've heard that before, haven't you? I mean, I have. A lot of people know that verse. A lot of people in our culture like to quote that. and They may not even know it came from Jesus or the Bible, but you've heard people say, the truth will set you free. It's funny, I've never heard anybody say or quote the first part of that verse. Most people don't understand it's an actual if and then statement. If this happens, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the if's important. Jesus said, if you obey me, if you do life my way, that's how you discover the truth. And once you discover the truth about life, that truth will set you free. But see, most of us don't think that way. Most of us think that freedom is the opposite of obedience. We, we think about it this way. We think the only way to get free is you've got to tear off the restraints. You've got to figure out a way to not have people tell you what to do. You've got to do what you want to do. That's what freedom looks like. It's freedom from restraints. Jesus would say, no, 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 that's not freedom. In fact, it's the opposite of freedom. Now, think about it this way. Imagine a, a child walks past a fishbowl, and there's a fish swimming in the bowl. And the child looks at the fishbowl and he says, oh, man, poor fish. He's all cooped up in his fishbowl. I, I wish he was free. I know he wants to be free, so I'm going to set this fish free to breathe the fresh air like me and everybody else does. And he takes the fish out of the bowl and he sets him on the table. Question, is the fish free? <laughs> he won't be for long. Now, the answer is obvious. Why? Because in order for him to be free to live, he must live in the restriction of water. Why? Because that's what the fish was made for. It's the nature of a fish. And the same thing's true of you. And the same thing's true for me. Freedom is not found when you just throw off all restraints and you do whatever you want. In fact, many of you know that. You've thrown off restraints before and you've lived however you wanted and you found out you got restricted anyway. It just wasn't the kind of restriction you'd wanted. 
See, freedom doesn't come when you throw off restrictions. Freedom comes when you find the right ones, the right restrictions. Freedom is swimming inside the moral and the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God because you were made to live there. You were made for the kingdom of God. That's the nature of humans. And so like water makes a fish free, obedience to the teachings of Jesus, they will make you free. See, this is the reason that we decided to call these next few weeks and this part of the sermon Jesus taught, we call it deconstruction. And the reason we call it that is because a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and a lot of churches have gotten this idea that the church really only exists to make Christians. And what a Christian is, is a Christian is a person who believes all the right things that you have to believe in order to get a narrow-minded God to let you into his heaven one day when you die. And that idea needs to be deconstructed. Because here's the truth. Jesus never called anybody to be a Christian. What? Did he just say what I think he said? Did he really put that statement on the screen? Yes. It's true. I mean, go read your Bible. Go look for it. You'll never find it. Jesus never once called anybody to come and be a Christian. But there is one thing that Jesus did call people to be and that's a disciple now disciple it's it's not a complicated word and it's not even a bible word or christian word even it's just a word and it simply means this a disciple is is someone who has decided to learn from another person how to do something you begin to follow someone so that you can learn from them how to do something else and here's the thing you are somebody's disciple. In other words, you have learned how to live life or how to do some things from somebody else because that's how humans are wired up. We're all wired up this way. We have to learn how to do things from other people. We have to become disciples of other people. And it's been going on your whole life. I mean, when you were born, you had to learn how to walk and how to talk and how to feed yourself and then how to read and then how to relate to other people and how to use your time. You had to learn all of these things in order to get through life. And so you started out, and most likely you became a disciple of your parents because they were the ones there teaching you how to do that. Pretty soon you would become the disciple of maybe some teachers in your life, maybe a friend. You would follow them and learn how to do some things from them, or maybe a mentor or somebody you looked up to. You've been going through your life becoming a disciple of someone over and over and over again, and they are the ones that have taught you how to do life. What Whatever master you become a disciple of, they're the ones who wind up teaching you how to do life. And so when Jesus starts talking about this narrow way, again, he's not talking about being bigoted or narrow-minded or arrogant. He's just talking about how life works. This is how life is, and it's the way you're wired up. And what he's really doing is he's giving you and me a challenge. He's saying, whose disciple are you going to be? Because you're always someone's disciple. I mean, you don't have a choice. You have to follow someone. So who's it going to be? You do get to choose who you follow. And if you want the freedom to be able to do certain things, you have to choose a narrow way that leads you toward doing those certain things. It's like this. If, if you want to be free to, to play a musical instrument, then you have to follow a narrow path a narrow path of practice and of discipline and of study about that musical instrument. You have to become a disciple of that instrument. 
If you want to know how to be a baseball player, you have to arrange your life around a set of narrow practices, a narrow path of practice and training and, and, and learning the game so that you can become a player. If, if you're an alcoholic who wants to be sober, you have to arrange your life around these narrow practices called the 12 steps in order to live free from that addiction. See, that's the narrow way that leads toward freedom in all of those areas in life. And all Jesus is saying is, it's the same way with me. If you want to live like Jesus, then you have to arrange your life in a narrow path that will lead you to receive the power that you need to do that. That's what he means by the narrow way. And he says the broad way, that's just doing everything else, anything else but that. See, when, when Jesus came along and he said, look, only a few find the narrow road, and many people wind up taking the broad road, Jesus is not making some kind of prediction or some kind of statement about how many people are going to be in heaven and how many people are going to miss out. And he's certainly not making a statement about the fact that God's really excited about the fact that not very many people are going to go to heaven. In fact, if that's what you think about God, you just don't know God. Jesus is making an observation about life, about the way things are. He's saying the broad way, the broad road is just... It's the default mode. It's the way most people live. It's the way most of us tend to just sort of drift through life on accident. It's just doing what everybody else is doing. So the question becomes this. Have you become a disciple of Jesus? Have you gone through that narrow gate? Have you just decided that in everything in my life, I will live the way Jesus would live if Jesus were in my life, if he were in my place? That's all a disciple of Jesus is. A disciple of Jesus is just somebody who wakes up every day and says, you know what, my mission today, just for today, is I'm going to do every part of my life, and I'm going to learn from Jesus how he would do life if he were me. And I'm going to do every part of my life his way. That's the decision you make. So have you made it? You might be saying, well, well, I, I can't make that decision because I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus yet. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure of, of who he is or you say he's God or the son of God or whatever. I don't know about that. Well, okay. But you can still follow him. I mean, regardless of what you believe, you can still do life his way. I mean, you do realize that the original 12 disciples of Jesus that he called to follow him, they didn't believe in him at first. They weren't sure of who he was. But they followed him. They did life his way. And they discovered who he was through that process. See, I mean, you don't have to believe. You don't have to be a believer yet to follow after Jesus. You can, you can become a disciple of his. In fact... I'm going to say something right here that I know might offend some of you, but I feel like I need to say it. There are a lot of people here today, you're, you're tuning in, you're watching this today, and you've been a believer in Jesus for years, but you never came, became his disciple. I mean, yeah, you may have said a prayer one day. You may have, you know, responded in some way. You may have formed some kind of intellectual beliefs about Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... You've never done life Jesus' way. Truth is, you're just living by default. You're drifting. You're doing what everybody else is doing. You've chosen the wide gate like most people do. And so Jesus is inviting all of us, everyone, no matter what you believe or what you don't believe. He's saying, choose the narrow gate. Come, follow me. 
Learn from me. Do life my way. And when you do, you will discover the truth. And that truth will set you free to become everything your heavenly Father created you to be. So, how do you even start? I mean, how do you begin this? How does someone become a disciple of Jesus? How do, how do I learn how to live every part of my life his way? Well, I'll tell you the simplest place that I often tell people to start, and, and this is by no means the whole deal. This is just a starting point, and this is where everybody can begin, and it's a very simple thing. I would say to you, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever situation you face, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever kind of person you run into, ask yourself one simple question. And the question is this, what does love require of me right now? Just ask that question. What does love require of me? Ask yourself, right now, what would a loving person give? What would a loving person say? What would a loving person do? And whatever the answer to that question is, you just do that. And what I found is that most of the time, you know the answer to that question when you're honest about it. And why start there? Because the way of love is, is the way of Jesus. And, and, and it's just a perfect place to start because if you answer that question and you do what the loving thing is, you're probably going to be doing what Jesus would do. Now, of course, you can't stay there. Like I said, it's just the starting point. It's really just the personal, private starting point of how you follow Jesus. But there's a whole other part to it. There, there's a part that, see, because you can't stay there very long. See, remember, Jesus never invited people to follow him alone. Jesus never called a disciple to follow him alone. There's this whole other part of following Jesus down that narrow path, and it always involves other people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't have time to go into it. But you need encouragement. You need help. You need guidance. You need reminders. You need someone to be the voice of God for you when you can't hear the voice of God. You need someone to point out the blind spots in your life that you'll never see about your life. I need that. You need that. Following Jesus has always been done in community. And so for us around here at Community Christian, a few years ago, some disciples right here in our church got together and they said, you know what? We're going to invite two or three other people to join us, and every day we're going to try and help one another figure out this question. What would Jesus do today if he were living my life, if he had my family, if he lived in my house, if he worked my job, if he had all my problems and all my hang-ups and all my hurts? What would Jesus do? And then how can I then extend that? How can I help two or three other people come along with me and learn how to do that with me? How can we together help more and more people come to follow this narrow road instead of just going down the wide one, going down the, the one that everybody else goes down? And we call those little, small, tiny communities discipleship groups. Many of you are on that journey right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But others of you, you're not. And I'll tell you, you need to be. You really do. You need to stop doing life by accident. You need to stop just drifting through life, going down the wide path, doing what everybody else is doing. You need to be a disciple of Jesus and do every part of your life his way. And if that sounds appealing to you or you're just curious about that, I want to give you a way to respond today. If you go back to the website that you've been seeing on the screen today and we've been pointing you to all day, go to ashleyparkchurch.com. Right underneath the, the card that says Sermon Notes, you're going to see another card just below that, and it's going to say, Become a Disciple. Respond to today's message. And if you tap that card and you look in there, you're going to find a place where you can put your contact information, your name, and, and get in touch with us. 
and you hit the submit button, and I'll tell you what's going to happen when you hit the submit button. You're going to get an immediate email from me, and I'm going to share a little bit with you about my experience with following Jesus with every part of my life and, and doing discipleship with, with some other people. And then I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about what it entails and what it involves because there's a little bit of a commitment there. And then you get to decide if you want to move on and go further. And there's instructions for you on how to do that. You're not committing to anything by signing up on this card. You're just getting more information. And you get to decide if you're ready to do something like that. But here's what I want to say to you as we wrap this up. You're going to be somebody's disciple. In fact, truth is you already are someone's disciple. The problem is most people have not really ever chosen whose disciple they're going to be. They just sort of drifted into it and they wound up going down the wide path. So my question to you is, wouldn't you rather choose whose disciple you're going to be? And wouldn't you rather choose to learn to do life from the one who lived the greatest life the world has ever known? But the choice is yours. Let's bow and I'll pray. God, we thank you for, for these words from Jesus as hard to understand and comprehend and to grasp as they may be sometimes. We also thank you for his example. He showed us the truth. He showed us the way to do life. He showed us that this truth would set us free. And now I pray that, God, we wouldn't just drift through life and just go down the wide path and do what everyone else is doing, but that we would take your challenge and we would follow you down that narrow path we would learn from Jesus how to do every single part of our lives. I pray for those who are already on that path that they would continue. God, for those who are just investigating it, that they would, they would lean into it. And God, that they would find that truth and that freedom that you're calling them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week for part two of Deconstruction.